Hello, your friendly neighbourhood podcaster Sam Turner here, just popping in to say before the show begins that if you ever want to get in touch with us here at Staying In, then the avenues to do so are plentiful. So if you've got a question for us that you really want answered, or you just want to leave a comment on the show or something you found funny, then please get in touch. Twitter, we're at Staying In Pod. Facebook, we're at facebook.com forward slash Staying In Podcast. And if you want to do the personal touch, then Staying In Pod at gmail.com. So send in your questions. We'll do our very best to answer them. And without further ado, here it is the Staying In Podcast. Deadpool 2, A Way Out, and the Games Media Britlist Awards. This is Staying In. Do you want to know what I did pretty much immediately after the recording finished last last time we recorded? Have a guess. Have a guess. Mm. I mean, you do record in the same room as your exercise bike, so I'm thinking a quick twenty, a, a quick twenty k. Absolutely not. But I, I also know Pete, and know he won't have done that. Okay. Yeah. All right. A slow twenty k. <laughs> <laughs> Just finished now. So uh, I went online. Oh no. And I. What did you buy? Went on to a. <laughs> Dan's getting close. Dan's getting close on this one. Activate incognito mode. <laughs> do incognito mode. Uh, signed on to a a miniature wargaming table uh, shop of choice, uh, oh, and please. I purchased. I no. uh, att- I attempted to purchase uh, some rocks. What? What? Do you, oh, like you mean? You're meaning like fake rocks for landscaping aren't yeah you? plastic rocks Pete yeah when was the last time you went outside <laughs> because well, I, yeah. there's a lovely there's actually actually you you, you live near a gravel drive I yeah. know because I was gonna say like of all the things that you're recreating in miniature fair enough if you're looking for like foliage yeah. trees and all that kind of nonsense sure if there's one thing that you can bring to a miniatures table to represent rocks mm. it's Rocks. The, now, the the issue I've got there is that there aren't any really large rocks. Pete, Pete's going to legitimately try and explain why buying rocks is better than picking up a rock. I bet you, Sam, they, they only come in like like um, half ton bags. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 an easy thing to explain about why I have to buy a rock. Um, so it's just the one you bought. There aren't any large. There aren't any large rocks. There are large rocks. <laughs> I I can't find uh, the the, how, the question. How large the, did the rock need to be? I'm curious. It, it needs to be about oh I'd say three or four inches uh, tall. So quite a big bouldery kind of thing. These aren't small little tiny little fragments of rocks which I have used to base some miniatures, my Bushido miniatures. Um, I put little bits of gravel because they're a mountainous group. Uh, so I put little bits of shale and gravel over the top of them. But what I need is big big rocks to act as scenery. Now. The, the fact is, I can answer that very easily about why I would need to purchase a rock. What I can't answer very easily is why I would need to probably, if I can get hold of them, paint them to look more like rocks than they actually are. <laughs> I can understand that, actually. That really? doesn't... Because, because sometimes you do have to superimpose things onto things to make them... Like, you know, cell shading is in a game like... 
in Borderlands or in mm. 13, like the characters looked like human, but to make them look, you know, in the aesthetic that they're yeah. sort of in that world, in that design that they're part of, they were cell shaded. Yeah. So I can understand how you'd want them you would want the rocks to look like the universe that they belong to. Yeah. Like have some artistic theme. That I'm fine with. The okay. fact that you have to go online and buy f- rocks. Yeah, yeah. Considering that the last time I was at your house, yeah. there was a wall that was half collapsed outside it. <laughs> yeah, which... I, need, I need rocks, not bricks. Can I, can, I just, can I just check, Pete? Can I just check? Sam's explanation as to why you would paint the rocks. Yeah. You've obviously just gone along with that. Is that the truth, or do you? Is there a more of an embarrassing reason why you need to paint them? Are you just accepting Sam's sensible option? Let's just accept Sam's sensible option on this one. Uh, <laughs> what, did you, so- what did you paint? What was it? You painted grass on the top. <laughs> <laughs> well, there will be, there will be some of that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I attempted to purchase rocks, but but divine intervention got in the way, and I've, I, and unfortunately, the rocks what? were sold out. <laughs> The rocks were oh sold out, God. so now I don't, I don't have them. So I'm, uh, that's the thing. I'm. That's the thing. I'm. It's next on my hit list. Only there was some place that you could get things that look like rocks for free. That you even. I mean, even better if you don't have to paint them to look like rocks. Mm. Where's your nearest home base? Does not surprise me that Pete has no idea where the nearest home base is. I'll no. be honest. <laughs> I'll be honest. There are certain locations in Bristol that I wouldn't be able to tell you where they are. Home base is one of them. The football stadium is one of Where's them. Where's the nearest games workshop? Uh, I can tell you exactly where <laughs> all the modelling stores are. But but you see, Pete, I know joking aside, like I actually find that really interesting. Like when we were kids, like we, my brother and I started to kind of build like a model railway thing. We never succeeded. We never carried on, but we got bored. Um, yeah. But like we watched and read tons of like um, uh, videos and guides on like the the craft in creating miniature versions of things. I find that really interesting. Like, oh. I remember watching, like, the Lord of the Rings making of the bigotures in Lord of the Rings. It was like the Blue Peter thing with the miniature Tracy Island. Yeah. Thunderbirds. Oh. That just was just huge. So, so, so are you, are you two saying that you would theoretically be interested? No. 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 <laughs> I, no I'd be interested in contributing to this mid-midlife crisis. I wouldn't yeah. necessarily be interested in... Okay. okay. Like, okay. I, I, myself, like, I, I'm fascinated by the artistry in there, and it is genuine artistry, the people that create this. I mean, yeah. There is something about looking at, um, whether it be a model village, a model city, a model railway, model whatever. Like, mm. I remember, you know, when you walk into Games Workshop, it's the first thing that draws the eye. It is that, you know, that attention to detail and that craft. You don't know what the rules are. They're impenetrable, but the, like, there's something really interesting going on there. And, we can joke about yes, you're buying rocks, but the, it's it's funny like just how like a few rocks are enough, kind of like classic Star Trek to suggest another world. They will make they will make my scene complete. I, I promise. I do like the idea of kind of imagining these kind of elegant, kind of amazing miniature structures and model villages and all these kind of such intricate detail, and they kind of smash cut to Pete sat in his bedroom <laughs> painting grass on a rock. <laughs> So, Pete, 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 what is this setting? What is the what is the final picture going to look like? If you had to describe this landscape that you're going to build, what is it going to look like? Um, I'll be honest. I 
or I'm trying to get to a point where I'm 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 actually taking it quite slowly. Like this is weirdly, this is one of the hobbies where this is unusual for you. Where, yeah, where people like dive in both feet first. But actually, I'm not going too full full force on this. What I wanted was a couple of bits of rock scenery so that I could because I need play pieces because I need blocking play pieces to like block line of sight because otherwise you've basically just got like a flat area and that's not very interesting. But I'm not going. Whole hog, like at the back of the Bushido um, rule book and stuff like that. There are, there's like, here's how to make a paddy field, and you're like, great, like, and and every single part of me is like, I, I, <laughs> cutting I, up I, rice to get it small enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but like every part of me is like, oh, oh I could I could totally make a th- three foot by three foot scenario where I could do, it. and then but actually I'm like, you know what, that isn't me. And like I'm, I'm not. So I'm, I'm just taking it one step at a time. So there is. So, so basically, there is a line. There is a line there oh, yeah. that you're you not willing to cross. I've got the solution for you. Yeah, what's and that? it's also um, could be the best mashup in board games. I know since. what you're going to say, Sam. Cool. I know what you're going to say. We're genius from the same line. Um, <laughs> That's not a thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's not a thing. Uh, Sam. Um, that you take. Your your wonderful partner has made a 3D Catan board. Yep. Which is already full of different landscapes and topographies, quarries, mountains, yeah, yeah, fields. Yeah. And he used that as yeah. your Bushido board. Yeah, totally wrong scale, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, see, Sam, well, I, I, I'm I, trying. I... You're I'm trying. You're going on the internet and buying bloody rocks. I'm just <laughs> suggesting stuff that might help you out of this funk. Yeah, let's not mince words. This is an intervention. Um, um, I mean, what what are the rules of rock placement on a Bushido board? Because can't you just say, yeah, here's my board, dump a load of quarry material on it, and go, good luck with line of sight with this one, bitches. Sorry, sorry. Can I just can I just activate my nerd voice just for a second? Uh, my other nerd voice. <laughs> uh, uh, there are specific rules for placing scenery because obviously you get an advantage. If I was the only person who was building the map, I could be like, right, I'm placing them all here because I get the I get a load of advantages. But basically, you come with specific pieces of scenery, and player one picks the first piece of scenery and goes, I will place this here. Player two places the next piece of scenery, and that's how you figure it out. It's all very, it's all very pleasant. The, the the as Sam says the the version of Catan that you have this yeah. 3D version does yeah. split up into all the components so obviously you yeah. put it in various different ways yeah. you say it's the wrong ratio surely when you're building the board you decide the ratio <laughs> no oh. it's the what it's the wrong ratio to Bushido characters like the Bushido yeah. characters uh, is as high it basically a Bushido character a Catan mountain is twice as big as it. Which I think yeah. is what he means. So, by so ratio basically, size. in 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 uh, in in miniatures, basically, you get you get certain different scales, and that means that. So, it, in my thing, if we were to go with that, if we were to say, okay, this is the scale that we're working at, then the tiny little sheep that are hanging out on the on the on the little um, on the hex, either either each bushido character is like a hundred foot tall, or the bushi- or the little sheep are like tiny little ants, basically. <laughs> They're all lambs. Um, or, yeah. <laughs> How small do you think lambs are? So how big is this mountain you're going to build? No, but it's ratio. It's a scale. To, so like it, it just the the mountain just needs to be big enough to block the yeah. line of sight. Also, from just the character. also here's here's how not here's how not two feet first into this. I'm going. I'm not building a mountain. There are mountain people, but like all I want is a couple of little, <laughs> couple mountain of little, a couple of little, little rocks. That's really all I need. 
Um, and uh, all, all I want really is something that isn't like beer bottles and packets of crisps as yeah. scenery. Um, it's, so. a, it's a similar principle to kind of like in Memoir 44, Sam, when you kind of put mm. the map out at the beginning and you've got like lines of sight there, but that's just flat cardboard discs. Yeah, yeah it's you've got to use that, that, ho- that word that Pete hates. Go you've got to use your imagination. Ah, so uh, we all got to meet. We all got to meet in London. And we had a lovely evening. Yeah, it was a flying visit, but it was lovely. It was a particularly flying visit for you, Pete. Yeah. yeah. P- Pete, Pete came all the way to London and spent about an hour with us. Yeah, well, listen. It, right, let, okay, let's be clear now, right? It wasn't that like we got together, spent the same amount of time in the same area, but I completely blanked you all. Um, I had to, obviously, I was coming from Bristol to London for the, what are they called? The Games Media Britlist Awards that we got nominated yes. for. And... When we attended them, uh, I knew that I would have to get back to Bristol because uh, I had a busy day of work the next day uh, and also a little bit of sword fighting uh, in the evening. So I had to get back. So I turned up at like 5pm because my train got in way too early. So I, I s- <laughs> like went and sat in a bar and sat with nobody for like an hour and a half. Then I think it's important to say that you've finished the book now, haven't yeah. you? Oh, the, the, the book was finished before I made that that journey honestly which is uh, why you were so early i think yeah yeah com- exactly yeah the the exactly the 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 rail gods the travel gods decided to uh, equalize a little bit uh over equalize i would say so um sat in a bar for like an hour and met up with nobody and then uh, managed to hang out with um uh, a, a, an ex-colleague pal of mine uh, called jake uh and we hung out and uh, and, and and I had a lemonade. That was very nice. Rockstar. Um, and then we met up at the, uh, at, the at the Rich Mix, which is a, a posh venue near Shoreditch in London. But I was only able to be there until like nine p.m. And then I had to go and get a, a, a train home, which is unfortunate, yeah. considering the reception started at seven, and the awards started bang on nine. Uh, yes. So I missed the entire awards ceremony. I want to know, like, was it, what was the atmosphere from, like, because seven till nine was great. Yeah, seven till nine was seven till nine was brilliant because basically, seven till nine was made up of a couple of things. Right. Um, first of all, was um, obviously meeting up and reminiscing and being the only people in the room who were playing Trailblazers. Uh, which was one of the sponsors of the event and they lined all the back room with like eight or ten PS4s all demoing this this game from Rising Star called Trailblazers which was alright it It was was an alright game so sort of like a mix between Splatoon and Wipeout in a weird way and the other the other part of the evening was made up of watching Chris trying to find and apprehend every single person he could find that had pizza because we were promised on the invitation pizza and chris's first words when we went into the room was where's the pizza where's, but but where's the pizza we were promised pizza and he wouldn't would not shut up about it and then finally this poor woman came up to us with pizza on the plate yeah and chris is just just literally launched and from then on pounced on her and then from then on he was just like we were having at one point we met up with a lovely simon miller great to meet him first time i think except for pete that we've all met him in the flesh and we had a wonderful chat he was a host he did a stand-up job 
Chris at one point left that conversation halfway through because he spotted someone had pizza <laughs> and he ate it. Yeah, even when it had ingredients on it that he didn't even like. Oh. Yeah. It was like it was like a plague of locusts. <laughs> the person with the pizza was on the other side of the room. Yeah, it wasn't they were That's... passing by. No, I was. I think, and I'm not lying. I was the only one who actually went to them. It was it was like a Looney Tunes cartoon where someone where <laughs> Wiley Coyote smells like like nice barbecue flavor and like floats along over to it. My favorite bit was when Chris got a pizza that he didn't like. His tactic was to roll it up into a tight sort of like Swiss roll of pizza and just like pretty much put it in his mouth as one. Well, yeah, like a <laughs> like 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 some sort of like giant egg eating cobra. Yeah, <laughs> just, I don't like this. Like, just like distending his jaw, just like. <laughs> um, now we were, we were, <laughs> um, Dan. We were keeping well. We we were keeping count, and I think you were having a bit of a because you seem to think you can eat more pizza than Chris can. I found this. Oh, out Dan can. You. Dan can. We've very much established in this podcast that that Chris eats more than should be humanly possible. I think that's not except for soup. Yeah. Except for soup. We never yeah. we never brought this up after we talked about the European holiday, but the we found out cuz um when we had the Thai meal, um these guys had like a set menu and the second dish on the set menu was like chicken noodle soup or something like that. I have never seen Chris struggle with a food <laughs> so much as I saw him. Sh- and considering that soup is just flavored water, yeah. like Chris was halfway through it going, I can't I can't finish this. It's, it's honestly, it's like it, it's like a cattle grid for my stomach. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was just incredible. Like the complete. If you ever thought of what food would fill Chris up, you think like, oh, four racks of ribs or a ten-pound burger, not soup. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, he can eat a lot. But yeah, as we've established, Chris can eat an awful lot. Mm. Yeah. But I do think, and I couldn't, I couldn't match Chris for majority of things. The no. one area. I'm fairly confident I could go toe-to-toe and even surpass is with pizza. With me, yeah. pizza doesn't hit the sides. You see, that that really surprised me. I've known you for years and I just did not know that. <laughs> there was a bit There was a bit where, obviously, Chris was actively seeking the pizza out, Dan. Um, and I, I, I think, I think so maybe he's got a, a bit of a head start there. But how? what was the end slice count by the end of the evening? My understanding is the end slice count was Chris ended on, and I should say ended because they stopped bringing pizza. Yeah, yeah. Okay. they actually started avoiding me. The reason that I didn't reach Chris's total or where we got to, because I, I just ran out of ran out of pizza to have. Chris ended up with having had seven pieces. Right. Mm-hmm. And I finished with six. Six. And I was very, very annoyed at that. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, Dan, we didn't. We it was a bit surreal for us that experience because we didn't really know anyone. Yeah. Um, and p- particularly with podcasting, even people we'd listen to who were nominated like us, we wouldn't know necessarily what they looked like. Yeah. No. If we overheard them, maybe we'd be able to recognise them. So it was a kind of a surreal experience for us, really, yeah. in that regard. And the and and because and because of the event as well is like an industry event when we actually went into to the award ceremony. When Pete ditched us, um, <laughs> like it was very evident that like it was like an awards event. Like every, most of, most of the sort of themes of the night were if you told yourself fifteen years ago that you were making a living um, talking about video games, you probably would have like laughed and like you should be really proud of what you've done. And that was kind of one of the messages yeah. that Simon Miller wanted to get across. And 
I spoke briefly to Chris Bratt, who's just left Eurogamer to start his own project um, very courageously. And like I was explaining to him, like for us, we're fans of the medium. Like this isn't our living. We're yeah. completely fishes out of water in this environment because like we have day jobs. Like this is a hobby. Like we've been doing this for 10 years almost. And like all we do it for is the fact that like we like hanging out and sometimes we play and we talk about games. So in that sense, it's like the environment was a little bit weird because mm. everyone knew each other. It was, you know, everyone was kind of in that industry, in that sort of wheelhouse. So it was like we were there as fans rather than like beneficiaries of it from an in, like an industry yeah, there were, standpoint. There were, there were quite a few kind of in jokes and kind of references to other people that I don't know about you guys kind of went over my head. Yeah, yeah, completely. I noticed that n- that you guys had absolutely no qualms with picking up the swag bag. No, absolutely. got my swag bag. Oh my gosh, yeah, straight in. What was it? What was it? What was in the swag bag? Uh, a yo-yo, which you got yeah. out of the tube literally as soon as we left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when I got home, I spent exactly five minutes with it and then put it in the bin. Nice. We got a free hour at. A Beyond experience at game, which I think Beyond yeah. is their like belong, um, belong, belong. What did I say Beyond or oh, belong? Yeah, yeah. And it also, we and it accompanied with a lanyard as well, didn't we? Yeah, that. Right. that that right, that lanyard, right? I because I used to have a lanyard on my keys, which <laughs> which was from where I work, and at work we're always kind of told about be be careful about what you wear on yourself when you're out and about that denotes that you're from this particular British corporation that deals with broadcasting <laughs> and because not everyone likes it. Sure. So when I got this new lanyard that just said belong on it, I thought, oh, that's pretty, you know, atonal. There's no sort of big significance about it. It's just a lanyard. I'll swap them out because I have a lanyard on my keys, not for any reason other than it creates added bulk, so I yeah. don't lose them. Yeah, sure. So I don't want to have like a massive key ring on my key keys. I just like want some added bulk, so I don't lose them, and that's it. I went to go and get my car MOT the other day, <laughs> and there I there I was sitting in the uh, little waiting room, listening to Heart FM, reading the second book in the Expanse series, yeah. feeling very manly, <laughs> and. Um, the guy, the guy came to me and said, oh, your car's passed. I'll just go and get your keys. Are these yours? And he was like dangling them from the lanyard. I went, yeah, the ones on the necklace. I was like, oh. Oh, <laughs> oh no. So, yeah. I should, I th- we should probably say we didn't win. <laughs> that, that was kind of like, oh, yeah. Weird, oh, yeah, yeah. weirdly, like that was the least, like we went in going, well, we're not going to, but it would be a nice time. Um, but our pals did. Yeah. Which is really nice. Dan, have you got an exit? Exit. He does. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've got one of those. I've got one of those. They're so, really good. What is it? Have you played? Have you played it? Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, hold I on. am. Yeah. I got. Wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on a second. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. I'm holding. Hold I'm on. holding. Hold on. Wait. Hold on. I've got the one called Secret Lab, so please don't spoil any of it for me. 
What have you got? <gasps> no, the secret. So okay, so I'd actually got for my birthday in February. I got uh, two two games of Exit the Game. Kind of, the, there's a series of games. I'd actually first heard about it. I saw it at a friend's house a good couple of months ago, and when I when I saw it, and it was in a a, a, a board game which basically creates the sense of an escape room, um, meant to be played cooperatively. I did look at it and think this is a game basically designed with us in mind right and i think i mentioned i think sam you'd already played it and then yeah i for my birthday i got two of these so i've got the the secret lab which i haven't played yet okay and that's one you've got okay um the one i played just the other day it's called the abandoned cabin mm. and the way these games work they actually it's me and my wife played it and it was a really enjoyable experience it's basically all it's based on cards so it's all it's a card game but it's all about kind of riddles and answering puzzles, solving puzzles, answering riddles. And when you do that, um, if you answer correctly, you're led on to a second puzzle and a third puzzle and a fourth puzzle. I think you end up doing about like 11 or 12 puzzles. And it's a it's kind of a one and done game. So sometimes you'll be cutting up cards or tearing cards. So you, it's a really small game, um, but it's a really, really enjoyable experience. It like takes like... An hour, two hours—that's it. It's kind of—it's—it's—it's it's, it's very much you do in an evening. You don't stretch out any longer than that. Um, and yeah, me and my wife play, and she's she she enjoys board games, but not really kind of that much. I kind of struggle to kind of play many games with her. She's not painting rocks. Yeah, she, I mean, she's not into that yet. Um, yet. <laughs> uh, but she really liked the idea of kind of. Um, the answering puzzles and trying to work it out yourself and working together to discuss things. So, for example, she's really enjoyed uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. And it was just a really fun experience. I mean, the, the abandoned cabin, the conceit of that is you've, you've broken down um, in the middle of the night. Uh, rather than stay in your car, you've tried to find shelter somewhere and you've found this cabin. Um, you you stay there overnight and when you wake up in the morning, the door is locked and all the, there are bars and all the windows. And you're left with a note saying, basically, you've got to find your way out or bad things are going to happen, basically. Um, so that's kind of the conceit of that, and then that's that's the gives you the impetus to then go through the game, and you're given kind of you're given the first riddle, and then that leads you on to another one, another one, another one. There's a game book which has got various different puzzles in within it as well. So you use all of these components together to answer various riddles, and riddles will happen at different times. You might need several riddles the answers of them to create one answer because the idea of the game is you're ans- you're unlocking lock boxes similar very similar to an escape room where you're right. kind of putting in codes and unlocking padlocks and stuff like that so throughout the game these riddles are giving you numbers or giving you certain um elements of information which will lead you to unlocking these padlocks and when you when you've unlocked one you can put that one to one side that one's taken care of let's move on let's answer some more and then there's a you can time it you can see how well you've done and there's help cards if you're struggling it's a really really fun really accessible really quick and enjoyable kind of an evening's entertainment uh we, literally we sat on the sofa the day me and my wife were both sitting on the sofa both looking at our phones and we both almost simultaneously went should we play a game? Because we got these, and we're like, should we play a game? She's like, yeah, I was about to say the exact same thing. Chris, you haven't played it, but I know Sam, you have. How many of these have you played? Uh, just the one, and I've got another one. I've got the Pharaoh's Tomb, uh, and it's shrink-wrapping in a drawer, which could be a good thing that we could pop out when we're all together again. Mm. There's Basically, there was two that came out quite close together. There was Escape, and there was Exit, sorry, and there was Unlock from Space Cowboys, mm-hmm. and... Yeah. 
Unlock is uh, a very similar experience, but also very different. Where Unlock is different because it's a, it's a game that can be played again. Rather, whereas Exit is a game, as Dan said, that you you know you have one shot at it and then it's done because everything's a lot more tactile. Which I think is what I like about those games more than Unlock, where everything's done on an app. And when you think you've solved something, you type a code into an app and it tells you whether you've succeeded or not. Some of the situations in the Unlock ones are quite interesting and amusing and we've done them in uh we went to sugar and dice and did most of them didn't we chris and that's the kind of that's a scenario i'd be happy doing some more of those in the unlock ones and if you like escape rooms and unlocked really good because one of you could buy it and then just hand it on to the next person to do it and then and it's just a deck of cards it's just a deck of cards and and an app and 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 it and it's fun but but exit i think what, the one thing I love about escape rooms is, and the best escape rooms that I've ever done are the ones that are really tactile and really logical, and um, which is why I love the one that we did in Budapest so much because that was just a completely tactile experience. Um, and Exit, I mean, Dan's pretty much said it all, but it's <laughs> the simplicity of it is what's wonderful is the fact that each puzzle has its own sort of mini deck within it and if you're stuck on it then you go to that deck to ask for a hint and that's what i like about it rather than again rather than the unlock series is this tactility but also the hint system is a lot feels a lot more personal to the puzzle that you're to the puzzle that you're actually doing Hmm. Uh, like the best escape rooms when that hint system is really good you don't feel cheated out of that experience so, um, so, so, I can I just talk about the best multiplayer experience I've had this year, the funniest multiplayer experience I've had so far, two thousand eighteen. Uh, uh, twenty eighteen, of course, brought us hunkering. It did bring us hunkering. So it certainly did. Let's be careful. I don't remember last time I laughed as much as when we spent about two hours <laughs> crouching in a bush <laughs> while people around us killed each other. What so, fun! So, what is and the time when Sam got trapped under the floorboards of yeah. basically. Um, like it was just three people left and Sam was one of them he was hidden underneath the floorboards that was the only time and the last time I've had fun playing Fortnite and um, what could be more fun than that right <laughs> three words yeah the way out no Chris it's our way out oh, but Jesus. <laughs> oh fuck Jesus, I'll let you have that three words <laughs> one of them's a letter <laughs> Yeah, what are a they? way out. A way out, right? A way out. Yeah. So and this is from yeah. Hazelight Studios. Okay. So for those who have played uh, a brother's tale of two sons, um, this is from Swedish company. Oh. Um, so brother's tale of two sons very quickly was this really quite interesting platformer where you play two brothers and one brother was controlled by one half of the controller and the other brother was controlled by the other half of the controller. Yeah, so it was really good. It was this kind of like kind of patting your head, rubbing, rubbing your stomach kind of thing, multitasking, literally, and platforming. It was uh, the adventures of cookies and cream, but in uh, the late uh, to mid-2010s. Did not know that. Uh, yeah, a load of people will go, oh, yeah, I remember Curry Curry Mix. That was really, really good. A load? <laughs> <laughs> One or two. Yeah. <laughs> I am not one of those one or two. 
So they and and e Electronic Arts were impressed with the work they did on that, and they financed them to develop a new game. And it's kind of been a labour of love for this and um, for the writer and director Joseph Farris, who um, uh, it basically it is a split screen multiplayer co op, um, third person, where you play as two prisoners, so Leo and Vincent. So I played as Vincent, um, who's just been entered prison, and Sam was Leo who has been in prison num numerous times and he's back in prison. And I see that Sam's already in prison and he's watching the new, the new inmates arrive. And I'm one of those new inmates. And as I'm entering, to my right, I can see Sam, what he's looking at, and he's mm. looking at me enter. So it's really weird. You become the kind of CCTV for the other person, which really comes in handy because quickly you two meet and you hatch a plot, and that is to escape prison. And... The whole mechanic of this game relies on you being able to kind of have each other's back. And what's really lovely is that each of us has two different personalities which will affect the ways in which we attempt to solve problems and um, address certain tasks. So Sam's character of Leo has, is kind of very much a man of action, I would say. And whereas mine is much more, he's got the gift of the gab, he likes to talk his way out of situations. And there are a few instances where will have done something and then afterwards we'll realise actually we could have just done it this way like there was mm. a sequence Sam where I was about to pounce on two security guards from behind and he said well, actually you don't need to go that way you can just come around this way I've just opened the door for you Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting so already there's replayability there I really want to go back in and play it from say Sam's point of view or do it with the same characters and instead of going with Sam's idea we go with my idea and see how that plays out and it's so much fun um, and it's absolutely hilarious because um, a lot of the time it is me, you know, keeping watch while Sam has to do something. Like he has to pass the file over to me while his cell's been inspected by the prison guard, say, for example. It took a few attempts. There's a lot, a bit of trial and error. But it's one of those games where it's, it's what I want for a multiplayer game, where the narrative is really ropey, really dodgy. Uh, we talked about it, Sam. It's basically a Jerry Bruckheimer film. It's not the most sophisticated narrative, but the gameplay is really polished and it's really rock solid and robust. So it's the kind of game I want from a multiplayer experience, kind of like Lost Planet 2, where it's pretty solid, but there are problems with it, with it that you can just go with it. I say go, you know, you can just go along with it and just have a laugh with it. And we've had tons of laughs with that. Another perk is only one of you needs to own the copy of it. And the other person can kind of join in and play that with you. So that's, that's really convenient in that regard to be able to do that. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a really interesting way of doing this. There's been genuinely some really cool sequences where like Sam will go into a cutscene and he can just put his controller down and watch a cutscene. Whereas meanwhile, I can move around and move mm. into that cutscene. You know how sometimes AI characters do that, like in Assassin's Creed, you yeah. go into a cutscene and then the AI will just walk through your cutscene. But I can actually do that now. And I can carry on playing the game while Sam's in that cutscene. Right. Sometimes I need to be there because Sam may have got himself into difficulties and I need to be there to make sure that I can get him out of it. So it just kind of, some, when it, at its best, it kind of, it's beautifully choreographed. Um, there's some, there's a brilliant, there's brilliant chase sequences in this where we'll, we'll be going our separate way and suddenly the game will throw us together. Uh, sometimes um, Sam's screen will open out and fill my screen and I'm done and I'm watching him and then sometimes the screen will split into three and then the security guards appear on the top one. So it, it's like watching, it's like CCTV at the same time. It's a really interesting dynamic. You feel watching like a storyboard or a comic book come to life as you're playing it. It's a really interesting experience. Sounds like playing tw 
a game of 24. Yeah. 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 Cause 24 used to, used to do that thing where you would watch a scene, but you'd have three angles on screen at the same time. That kind of thing. Definitely. It, yeah, that's pretty much what it is with a script written by, or produced at least by Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, and produced by Joel Silver. Yeah, yeah, it's just absolutely the shonkiest. Most it, it, the script is absolutely awful. Like, what do you, what do you mean? What do you mean awful? Well, like, Sam, Sam, Sam so give him your favourite line. Oh yeah, well, um, the the script is shonky because he will do a character will say something like, "You know, I didn't mean to do that to Gary, my brother, family," oh, and it's like, right, yeah. <laughs> So it's like they kind of say things that they shouldn't. A lot of exposition. Yeah, if they if they were really talking to their family yeah. about Gary, they wouldn't say he's my brother. Right. And like lots of like like some of the <laughs> some of the talk between the guards, like as they're like filling time. <laughs> there's one conversation that the guards have, which is like, oh, did you see the um, the John Peters show last night? And uh, the other guy goes, no, I didn't. Who was on it? And the guy returns with, I don't know. I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) And then they went back to that same conversation afterwards. Wow. It's so funny. when You know, Sam was talking about God of War last episode about, you know, how sophisticated that narrative was that you could walk away from a character and then you come back and they pick up that narrative and it would just be seen. It's the complete opposite. Talking about how good the God of War narrative is, of playing it the other day, and Kratos and his son had an argument, and now they're super sulky to each other, right. which kind of makes doing stuff in the game really awkward because it's kind of like Atreus, will you go up there? And he's like, yeah, whatever, Dad. <laughs> so it's like, oh, great, <laughs> this is fun. Um, but yeah, in a way out, the but I think that's kind of the aesthetic. I kind of want to believe that's the aesthetic they want to go for. It's like you're playing The Rock or Con Air or, you know, um, National Treasure. Like, it has that really sort of 90s Hollywood aesthetic to it. There's this one scene in a hospital which is entirely done via a tracking shot. The camera never cuts away. And it switches from Chris's character to my character as we as we're being chased around this hospital so i'll like jump out of a window into a room and then the camera will fly off into the next room seeing like chris's character run into it and run and run past me and then it will like be chris's turn to like try and escape from the cops so it does it does do some really really interesting things with with like the narrative and does wear its influences on its sleeve like there's a scene directly ripped out of Casino Royale there's another <laughs> scene directly ripped out of Old Boy and oh, it's yeah. really fun to take these these like shonky like cut out paper like cardboard characters into this like weird sort of Hollywood film hmm. um and as and as Chris said we've had the most fun like just laughing at these characters and, and like the situations that they get that they get into gotcha. it's been it's been so much fun and like you always play split screen no matter if you're playing locally or online so there like we've played locally and online and there's been really no difference in that in that experience which is another thing i think that it achieves well being an uh, being in a co-op game you don't feel like you've you've lost anything from from not having your friend on your couch next to you the, mm. the the experience is still just as valid and still just as worthwhile even if you can't be in the same room next to each other 
and it's a shame like a game like chariot doesn't like i'd love to play that a lot more but it's only local um so i don't get to play that as much as i would with like chris or anyone else and, sure. like before before this that was one of my favorite multiplayer experiences but it's strictly local and i think a way out its massive technical achievement is being able to pull that off, especially by just being someone only has to have one copy. So that immediately breaks down that barrier of only having like online play. But no, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it's every cliche in the book shamelessly. Yeah. Um, but I don't care. It's just so much fun. And the gameplay is so robust. I can't, I can't recommend it enough. If you fancy a laugh, um, and you want a really good, fun multiplayer experience that is unique, um, even though its narrative isn't, then yeah, a way out. Totally should go for it. Or you just wait and then I give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, I'm assuming there's not a lot of... Like, you're not going to go back to it again and again and again and again, right? Um, I don't know. I, to be honest, I, I was saying this to Dan the other day, like, I'd happily play it with Dan. Or you, Pete, and just swap characters and make different decisions. Like, yeah. it's just honestly, there are moments in this, like the hospital sequence, where it's just so much fun. Anyway, it's like why I go back and replay certain bits in Uncharted because it is just so much fun. You just got this big grin on your face. Hmm. Have you seen Deadpool two, Sam? Honestly, yeah, I have. You've seen it? Yeah, I thought it was. I yeah, I've seen it. I didn't think it was out yet. It came out last Friday. Friday, yeah. Hmm. Friday, yeah. I hmm. saw it on Monday, and it's still, it was still pretty fresh then. Because hmm. Sam, you, I, I think you and Pete are probably the most ardent Deadpool readers. Uh, Alex is not me. Okay, no. I yeah. just saw the copies of Deadpool on your shelves. So I see yeah. you, Pete. Yeah, that's because you're a everyday sexist. Um, there's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, yeah, no. Alex is well into uh, into Deadpool. Um, I like I like the Deadpool stuff well enough, but um, uh, it's just not something I've particularly read or anything like that. Um, he uh, we, is we, we, great. Yeah, he is great, and we named our rabbit after the fact that he likes eating tacos. Oh, what tacos called taco? Well, his favorite his favorite food is chimichanga. But yeah, I know. But he talks a lot about tacos. So. Chimmy Changa the rabbit. This doesn't really work, does yeah, it? Yeah, Chimmy Changa. Chimmy, Chimmy, uh, Chimmy's a good Changa. name. Changa. You should have got two rabbits called one Chimmy, called one Changa. Yeah, but then what happens when one of them dies? Then you've just got Chimmy or Changa. Mm. Or you get another one and call it Chimmy Two. No, it feels wrong. Feels wrong. Don't like it. Chimmy Two Changa. Don't like it. The the rule the rule the rule for my my rule for naming pets is a single like. A name of food, but a single name of food. Like, not, you, you can't have two of them and have, like, you know, rice and crispies or whatever it is. Like, it's got to be individual, individual things. So, hang on. Hang on. You did, your puppy yeah. in Free Realms yeah. was not named after food, was he? That's the only one. That's the only time I've ever named it a non food. Oh, rascal. Yeah, rascal. Is that why yeah. he broke your heart? Oh. Yeah, he broke my little Rest heart. Rest in peace. Oh, bless him. You see, as a person who eats. Almost constantly, that would really frustrate me. Unless you called all your animals after soups. Yeah. So you've got gazpacho. Go on. Minestrone. 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 Yeah. Oxtail. Chicken and asparagus. Yeah. Actually, some great names. Great These names. Are great. For, uh, Oxtail is a great name. Great name for a... Campbell. For, for a cat. Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> Chunky. Heinz. 
You should absolutely call your pet Heinz. Heinz is a great name for. A, I, I would say Heinz is like a dog. Heinz is like. You need a to get fifty-seven of... pets, though, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> okay, look, we've danced around the topic. Sam, is Deadpool yes. two Deadpool two any good? Uh, Shall I be going to it now? Uh, After we finish this pod. What was your thoughts on the first one? Oh, the first one, loved it. Yeah, breath I, of fresh air. I really like the first one. Yeah, it's really good. Um, the first, the first one did a lot right with Deadpool's character. Like he's a, an exceptionally difficult character to write because he can, he could be very, very annoying. Like when you have a character that just all it does is quips all the time. Yeah. If you're not writing him really well, then you really struggle to make a connection with the audience because at some point you need to have some sort of emotional or a dramatic hook to keep the audience involved. Yeah. Um, uh, Brian Pussine's and Jerry Duggan's Deadpool run is exemplary for this. Um, like the way that they managed to capture Deadpool's personality and the fact that he doesn't take anything seriously, but yet put him in a serious situation is um, it's exceptionally well written, and I've just finished reading uh, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, yeah, which is another great example of a character like Deadpool um, put in a situation and kind of like seeing how he handles it with his psyche. It's really interesting. So in Deadpool, I think they got that absolutely spot on, but Deadpool 2 is very much a victim of the previous film's success um, hmm. in a lot of ways. Firstly, I don't think they were expecting ever to make Deadpool 2. So how they left... I think they would have finished Deadpool, the first Deadpool, differently if they knew that they were definitely going to get a sequel. Those first 20 minutes are just really slow and sluggish and like it's doing things that have been done in a hundred superhero films before it, um, which feels really weird when it's Deadpool, when his whole shtick is trying to stick it to the tropes and to the stereotypes that have come before him. Um, so that's that's a bit of a shame, and you feel and you feel watching it like there could have been a lot of other things that they could have they could have maybe done to get Deadpool where they wanted him to be both emotionally and narrative wise in the story um, also I think it's definitely a victim of coming very very soon after Avengers Right. like if I feel like this could have done with another three or four months just waiting to come out um, but I understand why like Fox wants to get a bit, bit of that pie again and this film was like the writing on this film finished before even Logan was was out. So um like it's been in the can I feel for a really long time and just kind of been hanging around. But after Avengers and Infinity War, it kind of feels like a bit of a step back in terms of where where we are at now in ter- in, in what a superhero movie is. Like Infinity War was just tonally really well placed and exceptionally well balanced in terms of like action and comedy that when Deadpool 2 takes a misstep like with the first 20 minutes or at some of the points in the films like they're really noticeable because Infinity War managed to pull that off really really well saying that though (laughs) 
like when Deadpool two shines, it really shines. Like it is a really fun film. It just didn't hit me like as a massive surprise as the last one did. Like I think everyone was expecting with the last one for it to be a failure for them not to really get the character right, for them to make mistakes, but it just was such a massive surprise. With this one that because that surprise is not there, I think my, me myself I was a lot more aware of the pos- of the flaws and the mistakes that it was making. Right. Um but there are some genuine laughs and there's like there's like stuff that he does especially with x-force that you will not be expecting whatsoever Hmm. and me i'm really excited now for the third film because i think cable is the perfect like straight man to deadpool and he's kind of what i felt like if they'd had a sequel they would have brought cable in a lot sooner um to it because he's kind of what deadpool needs as a character to put him in those situations that he probably wouldn't naturally put himself in does that make sense like yeah he's the the eric he's the ernie to the eric and the um bert to the ernie bert to the ernie yeah that's the best one actually pete yeah um because cable is so straight laced and kind of like with a stick up his own ass like he he's a kind of person who like has a love hate relationship for Deadpool. I feel like in the third film, that's going to be, that's going to be what shines on the screen and work really well. Um, so yeah, definitely worth seeing. Definitely. I definitely. So Sam, yeah. Usually what happens when you've got like um, characters where the first film has been particularly edgy and quite mature and quite adult in terms of its content, you sometimes get in the sequels a kind of a softening. Has that happened in the second film? I, I would have actually said sometimes that the, the opposite is true, where sometimes when they've made an edgy first film and it's been successful, then they lean into that and perhaps lean in too far. Uh, the the one that stands out is um, the Kick-Ass film, where the first one was quite edgy and is similar to kind of some of the for Deadpool. And then it's the same, don't get me wrong, I think it's the same with the comic. I think in the second one, it, it goes to some really dark places that... I think just maybe tonally didn't sit well and I think sometimes they can go the other direction and really lean into the edginess and lose that sweet spot that they've hit in that first one. The problem that they have going back to the comics is the so for example like in Duggan and Pacine's run he he Deadpool as a character deals a lot with the fact that like he may have gone back in time or in the 70s or something while he was pretending to be Iron Man but drunk, he had sex with someone on a snooker table and he may or may not have had a daughter. Right. And then, like, that plays on his mind, but quite a lot of the internalisation Deadpool is done by voices in his head and I think that's one thing that the films couldn't do, especially of a film because I feel like dealing with that sort of mental health issue is a bit of a dicey area to do in like an hour and a half yeah. two hours on film yeah. whereas over four or five <laughs> volumes of a of a comic book like they earn that mm. how they treat that how they frame the character and i think that's the best way that the comics have done it like put deadpool in that situation like they really played with either his like serious issues with mental health like always pushing down his emotions so far that what bubbles back up is um serious symptoms of of 
uh, uh, voices in the head and, you know, uh, serious mental health problems, or he's dealing directly with the meta of being in a comic book. And in Deadpool 2, they don't do that for whatever reason. Instead, they just give him a very bland narrative reason to be to to put him in that situation it's just it's just a shame it just kills like the first 20 minutes of the movie and it spends a long time trying to get back to where it was that it never really hits that ride the same wave that the first one did Mm. netflix and chill so would you say you're giving it one thumb up one kind of half thumb to the side um as opposed to two thumbs up yeah yeah probably well kind of like for the first 20 minutes no thumbs up and then by like halfway through one thumb up and then by the end like two thumbs up so really it's in the listener's best interest to arrive late to the screen (laughs) (laughs) Pete have you put Magic the Gathering again on the list yeah we talk about things multiple times haven't we talked about it like three times already no we can talk about Magic the Gathering as many times as we want is that it's our podcast Dan you and I, we can do anything we want. Anything. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about magic. The do you not? Do you not? Well, I will tell you what, I'll do all the talking for you. <laughs> 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 um, no, I just um, the um, like Sam and I have been playing a bit more. I think it's right to say we've been playing a little bit more of uh, Magic Gathering Arena, which is the digital version. It is right uh, to say, and I have been playing, uh, and as part of that. Uh, we've been playing Dominaria, which is the uh, relatively is the latest of the yeah. sets of cards. So Magic has blocks of cards, and then new blocks of cards come in, and then there's a constantly evolving set of cards, and they're usually based around a theme. And the latest one is Dominaria, where they go back to the the the, the original planes uh, from the original series, and they make a load of like references to original Magic and and kind of things like that. Um, and, um, that's, how do you acquire these cards? Please? How do I acquire these cards? Uh, well, yeah, through the, they just appear like oh, they, these these are now active. Well, or do okay. you unlock them with the more games so, you play? How does that work? So in the uh, the physical way, uh, you either go and purchase some, uh, yeah. or you um, uh, you email Wizards of the Coast and say, could you send me some? Uh, either of those things uh, uh, are available. Um, and then the other one is digitally Dominaria set unlocked for purchase so the 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 arena which is still in beta at the moment is now accepting people's money to pay uh, for for things but it's still very much in beta it's not it's not public and the way that you actually get the cards is you purchase boosters Um, so you basically just you purchase these packs they come with a certain number of cards um, and then uh, you open them and then you they just get added into your digital collection and um, and then you don't have to purchase them because it's a free-to-play game. You can play games over and over and over again uh, and grind for... Is it called gold? But what I like about Magic the Gathering Arena is it's given me an opportunity to see all those cards and explore them Then I, yeah. at a decent price, which is nothing, than I wouldn't have got if 
like I was I was playing them when I'd have to like just buy all the boosters and yeah. then kind of be like, all oh, right, so that's how that works, or buy yeah. another intro deck and be like, oh, okay, well this how this is how that works with that. Well, that's one of the best things about digitization of board and card games. Sometimes, like I'm thinking, like Star Realms, for example, the expansions for Star Realms digitally are a lot cheaper than the actual physical copy. Or in Carcassonne, yeah, which I've played as well. I've played all the expansions of Carcassonne like online, but to buy the actual physical hard copy would be a lot more expensive so i've only just started like once i got used to how the game actually plays which i think is the um it's the best playing magic online that that i've played recently yeah definitely or ever played like now i'm getting to the point now i'm going right what the what the cards that i've got out of all the boosters that i've got what can i what kind of deck can i make so i've started actually curating and building decks and, and the deck building works a lot like hearthstone does like you have this book which you kind of flick through and everything's filtered like of colors and um you can filter whether they're like spells or legendary and all that kind of stuff and it's really handy because it does all the ratios for you so one of the big things in magic obviously unlike hearthstone is is that you pull the mana from your deck rather than it being accumulated just naturally over time so when you're building a deck, it works out all the ratios for you in terms of, right, you've got quite a lot of stuff that takes quite a lot of power to bring out of your deck. So maybe you should think about putting like less uh, less expensive cards into your deck or you've put a lot of spells into your deck, so maybe you should think about putting more creatures into yeah, it. Yeah. So that's what I like about it. Like It takes a bit of that experimentation out of your hand. So when I used to build decks in the physical space... Like I'd have to do lots of gold fishing and playing with friends to work out what the balance of the deck was like. Mm-hmm. But here it gives you a very good picture of of how that deck is going to work um, yeah. before you even start playing it. That's actually, I imagine, a real major selling point for this because I can imagine you using that as a resource to help you build your deck, your physical copy, say, of your deck. The fact that you've got something here that works it out for you. There are fans, fan service stuff that you can you can hit up online to do that kind of thing for you but it's it's nice in this regard because they've just made some really nice quality of life changes like so in the booster pack sometimes you get blank cards that are like a blank legendary or a blank rare i love that by the way and and so there was this one card that i wanted to put into my deck but i only had one copy of it but when i clicked it again it said do you want to turn one of your blank cards into this card and it can't be reversed and I thought, yes, brilliant. Yeah. So that means that I don't have to buy loads and loads of boosters yeah. in order to get four copies yeah. of that one card I really like. Yeah. I can use the wild cards that I've been given and other booster packs. I think that's just that's a genuinely nice like quality of life uh, thing they've put in. That to me is the a part of that build up of trust in what in those free-to-play mechanics. Like, I'm never sitting there thinking, well, there's no, the reason that I'm not pulling this card from my boosters is because the deck knows that that's really what I'm trying to get hold of. Because there's, there's no point, because I could just use one of these wild cards to just go and grab it. It almost gives you an advantage over the paper version in that if there's one legendary card that you're like, I want to build a deck around this, I've got everything except that legendary, I'm not trawling like... I'm not trawling yeah. eBay or whatever for a physical copy. I'm just like, right, that's the one card I want. I know I've got one of these wild cards. Boom, that's what that's the one I'm going to have. And it means that I, you know, 
it gives me that fl- a little bit more flexibility to go ahead and actually build out one of those decks. I think it's a that is a really smart move that goes a very long way to mitigating the fact that there's like no trading or anything like that, which there is in something like Magic Online. Mucking about with them, there are some really cool um, different synergies that you can muck about with. Like Sam, you were telling me like about some weird horse thing that you. Oh, there's there's a, a, a before we before we uh, came here tonight. There's this there's this horse. I think it's in the Dominaria deck, and uh, basically it's like a five five. And if you have another horse, then if you have another one of those horses in play, then it gives that horse and all horses you get indestructible, which essentially means that anything that would bring, anything that would act on that horse and bring its life to zero via combat or via a damage effect doesn't kill that horse. So it's effectively, it cannot be destroyed unless by sort of sorcery. Which is cool. It's just cool. But it also has another effect on it that says whenever you gain life, you can br- you can generate another five five horse, and so this person I was playing by the third or fourth turn because they built their deck around this horse. By about the third or fourth turn, I was facing up to twenty indestructible horses, <laughs> and it was just the most crazy. Uh, it was absolutely mental. Like and and and, and half of me was like half of me was like oh. Christ, but the other yeah. half of me was. Yeah. Was it like the ride of the Rohirrim? Like yeah, the exactly. It was like, well, there's only a couple on the hill. They'll be fine. Oh, oh my God. And before I knew it, it was 20 of them just on the field. It's like, oh my and God, this mad horse wizard. Hey, yeah. Do you know what a group of horses is called? Uh, a, um, a library. A group of horses. A library. No. Um, a. Well, if you measure a horse in hands, are they called fingers? A fist. A glove. A fist of horses. A mittens. Uh, well, there's different names. It's called a team, a harass, a rag, <laughs> that's for colts, or in your context, Sam, it would be a string, which is a group belonging to or used by one individual. So a string oh, of a horses. A string of horses. Brought me down. Oh, How long's a piece of string? Good. But uh, but yeah, Magic the Gathering Arena continues to be uh, a delight and it'll be really interesting to see what happens later on this year when Richard Garfield, the guy who invented Magic, brings out his own online card game yes. called Artifact, yes. which he's been working on with Battle. That's the Dota one, right? Yeah. And, and this will interest Dan is that Richard Garfield says that he's apparently been making this game in his head since he realised that Magic the Gathering would never make an interesting uh, virtual game. And that's from the guy who made it. I mean, I'd agree with that, but, you know. We, we met Toby. We did you meet did. Toby. We did, yeah. finally. He didn't like and, you. Um, he instantly, and, he instantly, and he instantly burst into tears. <gasps> Well, you guys are rather scary looking. Yeah, yeah. He's he is adorable. You, you both showed up at once. He was he was he was not ready. He doesn't he doesn't do well with meeting brand new people. It's overwhelming. Yeah, and I thought we also interrupted him watching Pointless, which was yeah. Dude, he loves Pointless. <laughs> Don't know what time. it is about Pointless, but he loves it. So what's um? Is that like a oh, is that like God. a children 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 show? Is it a children? Yeah, but is it a children's show? Or? No, P- pointless. No. Pointless is a is a is a quiz show. Oh, okay. For like CBC, it's a thing. great quiz show. CBBC sort of thing. No, it's just an it's an adults quiz show. Oh, okay. P- 
Pete, mm. have you ever watched Family Fortunes or Family Feud, as it's called in America, because they're a combative nation? The one where it goes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I, I love that. So you know the idea. You, what's the basic idea between around Family Fortunes? Uh, it's uh, what people are the number to do. of people who a number of people are surveyed, and then they get the most popular answers, and then that nice man who I think he nearly went to to jail for a crime but it was all right he was all right in the end uh he he says he says and our survey says that's libel and then uh, yeah so people yeah. so people are answering survey questions in order to get the most points yeah. yeah so pointless is the inverse of of that so people so 100 people are asked a question but yeah. in order for you to make it through the rounds in pointless you have to get the answers that people will not have said ideally that no one has said. Okay. Ideally, it will be pointless. Pointless. Oh, that's clever. But I do like the fact with that show that so much of the show is built around calling itself pointless. This is our pointless show. These are our pointless guests. You won the pointless trophy. It's brilliant. I, I love. I love that so much. Of the show is just built around how silly that sounds. That's great. And Toby's Toby's good at this. For some reason, he loves it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know whether it's the colours or the the sound. He loves a bit pointless. Well, the sound of Alexandra Armstrong's yeah, voice. But he's glued to it. But yeah, you guys met... Well, Sam, you've met Toby once before. Um, yeah. That was when he was going through his I just want to hit my dad in the face all the time phase. Yeah, well, um, I showed him that. <laughs> I will say this though, Dan. He's got your eyes. Maybe you should give him them back. That's awful. <laughs> Oh, dear. Great. That was Staying In with Daniel Frost, Peter Willington, Chris Darby, and myself, Sam Turner. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever on earth you get your podcasts from. If you'd like to leave us a review too, then go ahead. Why not? Visit stayingin.podbean.com for more information and links to all the things we've covered in this episode, plus details on how you can get in touch with us. Stayinginpod at gmail.com, Twitter at stayinginpod. There's links to our Steam Curator and Board Game Geek pages on the website as well. And, as usual, thank you very much for listening.